Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast, where I bring you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. This is Ryan Tansom, your host, and this is episode four. How's everybody doing today? Thanks for tuning back into the Life After Business podcast. Today's guest is a very good friend of mine, Kurt Therio. Kurt owned a sales company with his dad and another partner. The challenges that they went through, I think, are pretty typical of anybody within the professional services industry. So I think there's some good key points as Kurt is discussing how they were valuing their business. And then when they went through kind of the epiphany of what is it that we have to sell and what should our game plan be going forward so that way it's a good deal for everybody. With that being said, I hope you enjoy the interview with Kurt. Morning, Kurt. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining us on the Life After Business show. Um, why don't you just give us a little bit of a rundown of the business that you had in the past? Sure. So it was what would commonly be probably classified as a management consulting business with a kind of a special niche or emphasis in sales management and leadership. So we'd go into pretty significantly sized sales organizations and really help them um, with the change process that we believed was ultimately a human process. And uh, a lot of times in the sales organization, they're pivoting based on something the um, C-level has decided strategically they're going to go after. And really, the sales organization is there to carry out what that looks like at customer interface. And a lot of times that requires behavior change and there are so many pieces and parts that uh, help, uh, I guess, collapse the time frame to that behavior change happening, be it a change in the sales process, how you compensate people, how you structure that part of the organization, how you lead, manage, and hold people accountable to the new behaviors. Um, certainly how you incent something different. Uh, training gets involved, so what do we need to learn? new and differently to pull this off, um, technology, what tools, resources, etc. whether it's to help us keep track of what we're doing or help us do what we're doing better or help us communicate what uh, value we're bringing to the client. There's so many tools out there now, so getting those tailored and all pointing towards uh, what needs to happen at customer interface, those are the types of things that we got involved in. So. Um, you know, well, on the surface, it's probably sales management, development, and leadership. But when you get into the details, there was a lot to it. So um, we'd go in and we'd try and, you know, help that organization shorten their time frame to pulling off whatever strategic initiative it is um, that they were charged with doing. I love it. So what was the first time that you thought it was your destiny to be an entrepreneur? You know, I'd have to go back to, so I started my career in sales. Um, you know, I went to school for finance, thought I'd be a broker, and real quickly um, figured out that uh, it was going to be difficult to get middle-aged folks to part with their money and give it to a 24-year-old kid um, to manage for them. So once I realized that was uh, going to be an uphill battle, um, I got into sales, and uh, I had a background in the area that I went into. So Pretty quickly, I was able to um, get into the shoes of the customers I was working with, and that was really my first foray into, I guess, what's considered consultative selling. Uh, I just didn't know I was doing it at the time. 
Uh, and I really enjoyed getting in. And most of my clients were uh, smaller in nature. And I, I was in the restaurant business. Um, those were my clients. So I kind of saw firsthand, um, you know, the passion, the energy, uh, the work ethic, the uh, just the, the kind of the blood, sweat, and tears that went into building a business. And that just intrigued me. Um, while I was in that role, though, I was on the other side of the fence. I was working for a large uh, company. Uh, I was one of many people out there in the marketplace in one of many divisions uh, in one of many countries that this company existed in. So I was just a small part of it, and uh, it kind of felt like that. So um, I think that's kind of when the seed was planted. And then, you know, from there, uh, it was kind of paths crossed. Um, I got involved in sales management while I was out there and really saw firsthand the issue that uh, this little company that I became a part of was out there to solve. And um, happened to be that uh, my father founded the consulting company that I was a part of for most of my career. And so when uh, they got to a point that they were ready to grow, uh, it kind of coincided with my timeline to where I was very interested in, in being uh, an entrepreneur and helping be a part of growing a small company. And it happened to be in an area of extra, uh, expertise that I was uh, quickly developing. So it all just kind of worked out. And I think those things came together. And Walk yeah. me through the conversation you had with your dad as the ideas started flowing. Yeah, I think it started, Ryan, with um, as I was coming back uh, on a fairly regular basis to uh, see family and friends on holidays. So when I was when I took this job um, uh, in the corporate world, I was out on the East Coast. So I would come back frequently to the Minneapolis area where my family's from and where this uh, little consulting practice was started. And I just share you know, with my father, what was going on and what I was challenged with and what we we're trying to do in the company. And, um, you know, we just started talking about, wow, you know, I think a lot of what I was sharing with him validated, um, what he believed was needed out there in the marketplace. Not that he needed my validation, but it just kind of proved that, um, you know, if these sorts of issues and challenges at the sales management level were happening in a company the size I was with, then, you know, certainly there was a market to be had. Uh, and so, you know, as we're going back and forth, it just kind of morphed into a conversation where I was like, man, you know, I'd, I'd really like to be a part of what you're doing. I believe in it. I'm living the issue over here. Uh, I think I can help grow the practice. I can bring a lot of um, ideas and expertise to the practice that kind of complemented what he was doing. Um, so I just, you know, it just kind of started that way. How did you guys have the conversation about ownership? Oh, we never had that early on. So early on was all about being a part of the organization, just as uh, really an employee and a contributor and a producer. Um, fully knowing that, you know, I had to learn quite a bit about the consulting world uh, and our points of view and models and the different things and the type of work we do at clients. So the, you know, getting involved in ownership really didn't have, didn't happen until I'd say, um, probably about nine years in, uh, of a 16 year time period that I was there. So what was uh, the revenue when you started and then when that conversation, uh, took place? Yeah, so when I started, which was right, uh, was in 1999, it was six years into the business. The revenue, um, it's been a long time, but I'd say it's probably right around a million dollars. Uh, it was a small practice uh, that was growing pretty, pretty steadily but cautiously year over year. When we got into the ownership conversation, um, that was 
uh, kind of the 2008 time frame and revenue at that point when we did valuations, the business was um, in the two and a half to three million range. So when you're, you just mentioned valuation, which is a, a key piece to a lot of the listeners, um, what, what was the whole process that you went through in order to get that valuation and what was the purpose behind it? Really, we had a gentleman who worked, uh, you know, a resource for us that uh, we used for a lot of different things who did that process for us. So um, he, he kind of ran that and um, you know, that was one of my learnings looking back is that, you know, maybe should have used multiple resources to do the valuation. Um, but we went with that. Um, and that a uh, little bit of my naivete there, but um, we had that person in place and he applied a, a valuation process to it. And that's how we came up with the number. And then the, the goal of using that valuation was to help with the agreement or the buy-in with your dad? Yeah, that was to set the kind of the, the benchmark, so to speak. So, um, with a valuation where it was, uh, that allowed us now to go put together a plan around, okay, how would we finance this and do the, the rest of the piece? And so, uh, when we did the, uh, ownership conversation, um, you know, my father wasn't ready to be totally out of the business yet. We were looking at a, probably about a five year window. Okay. And so what we did is, um, we did two different transactions. One was for a, um, uh, you know, a smaller portion of the uh, ownership or equity in the business, and then um, that would take place over a period of, I believe, we did three full years, and then uh, year four, um, we set up a second transaction, uh, which would be the option to buy in at that point for the rest of it, and that would have, um, you know, in essence, allowed him to be uh, fully out of the business at that point. So how did the uh, new actual locked-in financial partnership of your dad explain and explain the dynamics that you guys had and did it change from before and after or you know what what was that like? Yeah, I think um I think it did. I think more so though what happened was kind of the whole financial and business uh environment changed right soon after we did this deal. So we were experiencing some pretty good growth at that point. And the assumption uh, in our heads was that we would just continue on that path. And if we continued on that path, um, by and large, that would mostly fund um, the transition. Now, what changed was... uh, The whole world blew up? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I might even describe it, but... Um, you know, we, did you find it, was it harder to get customers and stuff? Because I mean, with consulting, I don't know what your experience is. Was it more difficult or did you have locked in contracts with your customers? It changed dramatically. Um, no, everything we did was project based, which, um, certainly made it more difficult, but, uh, we always had an extremely strong return on investment. Um, so that kept us solid in that we could defend the investment. So uh, we always tried to distance ourselves, at least in front of clients from the consulting world, because the, uh, you know, I guess the... Uh, There's a lot of a lot negative of, connotations yeah, to it. Yeah, the stereotype is, you know, here's a plan. We're going to give you a binder. Good luck with implementation. <laughs> and we were, we were always very... Um, tried to take the opposite approach was a lot of times we'd even come in after uh, one of the more 
well-known consulting practices had been in place and had done exactly that, we'd take whatever they built or offered and actually get it put into place. So um, we were really about execution. So that stood strong during that time. Problem was what changed was how companies bought. So a lot of times we would be like any business working through budget season and planning and they knew what they wanted to get done in the upcoming year. Uh, and you're able to orchestrate and organize that pretty um, clearly and pretty uh, planfully. Well, and they'd be able to set aside the budget and on you to go. Well, the budget process really changed from people looking at things annually to almost monthly and quarterly. Hmm. So they never knew month to month whether A, the money would be there to spend, or B, whether they'd be able to spend it if it was there, or C, um, you know, just just whether they could still pursue whatever strategy it was because a lot of companies were changing those things even on the fly. So when um, you were do when you were doing your projects, were you how did the billing structure go for that? Was it an all up front or was it in installments or after the job was complete? We would do a third, a third, a third. So anytime we did a project, it was a third on a signature of the contract. We'd pick a milestone, uh, usually right around halfway uh, through the project or what we anticipated the project to be and do a third there and then a third at completion. So we always had very specific deliverables and timelines that we were working on. Um, that we'd use to kind of build that out, and those became and those became at risk. By the way, so the, uh, the last third, the the second third, and the third third were always at risk during that period. I was going to say, so given the economy, the the new uh, buying process, and the ambiguity of and the confidence of the cash flow. I mean, how did what was the dialogue in your head as you now have a you know large stake or, or a you know major skin in the game? Um, bordering on, uh, frustration slash panic, I would say are the words, um, you know, what stopped very suddenly was the ability to open up new doors, um, just because companies were afraid to go down to your point, any of those roads at that point, you know, whether it was marketing, uh, uh, you know, any sort of um, what was viewed as ancillary spending, um, that, you know, opening up new doors and relationships and getting people to bite off on that bullet and go that route was very difficult because they were scared. They weren't going to take chances. They weren't going to take risks. Uh, people were worried about their jobs. Uh, and all that filtered down into our world. So, um, you know, we were largely uh, living on referrals and existing business uh, in those relationships because we had that established track record. How were uh, the how was the concentration or the the ratio of your clients? Did you have any one specific staple client that you know kind of dragged everything through and made everything um, viable or was it was it fairly diverse? No, we had some what I would call flagship clients. There's no question. Um, in matter of fact, right during that, uh, yeah, you know, it was interesting. We, we had a couple of major organizations, household names that you'd recognize, um, that were clients, um, that did pull us through. Um, but also because we were so concentrated on that lost focus on what we had to do to bring in new companies, uh, and new clients. And, um, you know, given that it was, uh, I guess an all hands on deck type atmosphere, you know, um, we're doing what we could to make sure that we stayed uh, strong and viable and continue to deliver good work. Um, 
but it was still just a few of us. Um, so you're probably a couple years into your equity buy-in. And then you said that there were six years from that, your conversation till when you sold, what was the, you know, what was the next step? Cause you said there was going to be a second stage of your buy-in and then uh, obviously we're coming up on the time frame. So when you sold then it, was there a triggering event in between instead of that second piece go through or um, kind of walk us through that timeline? Sure. I think, you know, the way to describe what happened was, um, so we, we came once kind of things softened a little bit, 2010, 2011, um, we were actively as a partnership team, there was three of us in total. Um, you know, really what it evolved over the years was three people starting to do three different things, um, to try and build and grow the business. Uh, a lot of that was done out of, um, necessity and that our clients were spread all over the country. And so we were very rarely in the same room together. Um, and the type of work we were doing with our clients started to vary. Um, so what you started to see happen internally is, you know, Kurt's doing this over here and the other two partners are doing what they had to do with their clients over here. And, you know, we could recognize that we knew that. Um, so one of the things we we did, and this I'll, I'll circle back to your question, is um, you know a lot of clients, in, at least in our area, are you know are doing this EOS thing, right? And um, what I like about that program was uh, it kind of centers you back on working on your business. And what was very critical and important to me, and I was pretty vocal about it, maybe to my detriment ultimately <laughs> within the organization. <laughs> um, was that I knew we needed to do something to leverage and take advantage of all the models and points of view and intellectual property we created over the years um, because that's where the value really was going to lie in the long-term um, aspect of our business. And I just saw day after day after day go by where we weren't capitalizing on that. We were still recreating the wheels, so to speak. Uh, for every client, we, we leaned on custom quite a bit. Um, uh, and that was a differentiator that wasn't going to allow us to scale. And I knew if we didn't scale at some level and start to create revenue that was generated other than the partners in the business, uh, that the, there would be no value in the business long term if people left it. So um, what I did was literally push hard to get some things in place that would get the conversation started around how do we focus the business? How do we start to look at uh, and create a vivid vision for the future? Um, what does that require that we do? Who needs to be in what roles in order to pull that off? Who's got the gifts um, that are needed to uh, keep us on track and do the work of the work? on the business um, versus what we're doing in the business. And um, so we went down that path. And when we started going down that path, I was starting to feel pretty good about we could pull it off. Um, but as it goes with a lot of small businesses, you get distracted with, uh, you know, servicing and delivering for the clients. And ultimately, that project failed. Uh, and when that failed, we took a hard look at why. And we took a run at building an advisory board because we thought maybe, um, you know, getting a little bit more practical feedback and um, points of view on how to do what we're talking about um, would make some sense. So we got some people on our board with experience in doing that. And, um, you know, 
they were giving us feedback. They were on the right track. This is the right thing to do. We started to organize the business in that fashion. Um, and uh, ultimately, that ended up not working. Uh, and it didn't work for, I think, a lot of different reasons. But while all that's going on, this final equity moment um, where our transaction, if you will, was coming up. and So this, that's know, before – so you were, you were doing all that before your second installment? Right. Right. By and large. I mean, some of this stuff was running kind of congruent, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I made the decision at that point is, you know, I'm not going to make that final purchase right now because financially it makes no sense <clears throat> for me to, uh, work to buy somebody out of the business and then have them go away and clients go away and basically have to rebuild the business. Um, what was the conversation you and your dad were having during this during this time? Yeah, we well, you know, we probably should have conversed more about it, but uh, I think both of us were frustrated um, that you know the timing of some of these things happened the way it did. Uh, some of it in our control, a lot of it not. Um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, he extended his um, desire to work and need to work longer. You know, so. There were a lot of just different things um, that took place that kind of made it muddy, if mm-hmm. you will. And I don't think any of these things are clean and cut and dry. So I don't know that we're You're dealing with people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think just think that, you know, um, you know, we should have probably conversed more about it. But the, the conversations were, I think, from my perspective, that I'm not interested and in willing to buy something that isn't there. What was the triggering event that decided that made you guys decide to sell? Or you decided to well, sell? Well, yeah. So, great question. So, the triggering event. So, we, if you go back to the beginning of 2015, which is when all this really started, um, we had brought in an advisory board uh, summer of 2014, and we'd had a number of meetings. And, and at one of our very first meetings, obviously, we were charged with you know building a strategic plan for the future. Uh, so, we sat down. We did that. We uh put together what we thought Ryan was a really good solid plan the uh, board members that we had brought on um, validated that they thought it was very solid and we were working very productively to execute that plan um, even to the point where we uh, brought on an individual so this was the start of bringing on folks who could create revenue other than us which was a big part of our plan um, we brought out an individual who was stationed out in San Francisco, which we thought was a potential market. We had some clients out there already. Uh, this individual um, showed some promise of maybe being able to build a market uh, and use our intellectual property and, and different types of things to do that. Um, so we were making progress on this plan. Uh, and, you know, right around, I would say, early February of 2015, um, kind of out of nowhere, the third partner in the business approached both of us for around a buyout and an offer to do so. So it was never anything that was planned. It was never anything that I triggered. Um, I was at that point still very, uh, I was actually maybe looking back most, probably the most positive I felt about the future of the business at that point. Uh, and I think uh, my father was as well. He could kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. We were starting to do some things that I think we're going to build the business for the future, uh, which was what I was very interested in. Uh, and he, from a legacy standpoint, was very interested in. 
And uh, we had a plan to do so, and we had some good advisors to help us do that. Um, I was also uh, involved in a uh, uh, executive peer group myself, um, which I'm heavily involved in now today, that was giving me great guidance, feedback, ideas, and validation on what we were doing, too. So we all felt really good. We had a great plan. Uh, but then, uh, you know, in February of 2015, um, that plan was uh, put on hold and the offer was made by the third partner. It's amazing how a, an unexpected offer like that will distract you, isn't it? Where you kind of just got your head down and you're running towards a plan and now you've got an interesting option on the table and now now you have to, you know, internally reflect on what do we want? And it's, uh, that's for our listeners. That's actually, you know, there's a, there's a high percentage of the businesses that are sold where the, the unexpected offer comes from, you know, internal employees or, you know, a strategic buyer, local competitor, or some private equity company. And, you know, someone that's got a long-term plan immediately has to kind of look up and go, okay, you know, intrinsically, what do I want? Right. Right. And I think that's probably what she was doing. Um, and it forced the same for the rest of us, um, which looking back, uh, was the best thing. Um, you know, and, um, glad it happened and, you know, really forced, um, me to think back, you know, what, what do I really want? Um, and, and how do I want to go about doing it? What am I most interested in being a part of and who do I want to be around to do that with? Um, and I think she was going through that same thinking. Um, you know, it was, it was difficult there for a while. Um, I don't know that any of us had extreme confidence in the others to pull it off. Um, and I think that is a residue of, you know, all the stuff we didn't went through leading up to it. Um, so, so when you were sitting down and reflecting of what else you might want to be doing, what were some of the thoughts going through your head? Yeah. So, you know, timing's everything, right? Um, I mentioned I was part of this peer group network for about five years. Um, basically, you know, from the time I bought into the organization to today, uh, I sought out help um, because I knew I knew quite a bit about what our domain was as a company and what we do in sales organizations. Um, but I had a lot of ground to cover as it related to, um, you know, financially, legally, operationally, um, you know, the business model in my head, I ultimately wanted to drive us towards, um, how do we go about doing that? You know, things like that. And so I sought out a group to help me do that. Well, you know, I've always been of an orientation to help others and shorten their time frame to getting what they want out of their business for them, both personally and professionally. And, you know, from day one, when I was working with uh, restaurant owners uh, in my first job, that's what I drive great pleasure out of and satisfaction. That's what made me go and tick every day. Uh, it wasn't about, you know, uh, anything other than that. And then when I got into um, the firm with my father and our other partner, what I loved about what we did was how we impacted people's lives every day, made their world easier, uh, helped them be successful and be better at what they were trying to do, uh, and always got great run out of that. Um, it gave me great juice and energy every day to go do it again, whatever it took to make that happen. And then, you know, 
<clears throat> when I sat back and said, you know, what do I want for the future? I knew I wanted to be a part of something or do something that allowed that to continue to happen. Um, and so I got great clarity around what I love to do and what I wanted to do. And that process kind of crystallized that for me. Interesting. So when you say timing is everything then, so what was uh, some of the unique pieces of the puzzle that allowed this timing to be a significant value for you? Sure. So, um, you know, the group I'm a part of is called Allied Executives. And John Palin, who founded that group, was my peer group director for the years that I was involved as a member. Um, so as I was going through this, um, offer process and in negotiation and all that stuff, I was bringing it to my group to get their feedback, ideas, etc. And throughout that process, uh, John and I had a number of conversations about just, you know, what do you want? And I think as I was describing what I wanted, um, you know, we had a relationship obviously built over a number of years and a trust there. But also, I think he heard what I was saying around what was of most interest to me and that I was going to set out to find uh, a way to do that. And it just kind of, I think, was an aha. I mean, he approached me and, and said, man, you know, I'm really looking to build this business. Uh, I, I know there's a, a way to do it. Uh, I love what we do. Uh, and I get the feeling that it's right in alignment with what you're all about and what you want to do. Would you ever be interested in, in figuring out how we could do this together? And that's how it started. And as I sat back and said, geez, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, kind of came out of left field, so to speak. Um, as I thought about it deeply, it really checked all the boxes that I was thinking about and talking about the opportunity to, um, work with, you know, 180 different executives, CEOs, owners and leaders around the city uh, and, you know, kind of help them uh, on their journey of where they want to go and, and shorten their frame, uh, time frame of doing that and not necessarily always doing it directly in a one-on-one -on -one basis, but helping pull together a, a whole set of guides or Yodas, if you will, um, <laughs> that they can lean on to you know, at the end of the day, kind of get up and out of their business or out of the weeds of it where we all get trapped from time to time and, you know, get good, honest feedback from someone you trust who, you know, doesn't have a horse in the game, so to speak, but it's there to help you just kind of work through what you need to work through to make the right decisions um, and help you be more effective as an owner and executive. Which and is I almost like the advisory board that you wish you would have had while you had your business. Well, I had it as I was a member. Um, but I didn't have total control to make all the decisions, obviously, but, uh, <laughs> there's an know. entrepreneur in you. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, so, um, uh, but what I knew was, and I, and I do, I love working with someone else and having a partner in the business. I think there's a lot of richness that comes from that. And a lot of, um, you know, when, one of the things that John and I do now well today is I think we complement each other, um, uh, pretty well. And um, that's always been a goal of mine is to work with others to do and build something. But, yeah, you know, this this environment, um, you know, it's special. And I'll, I'll do I'll do a little plug here. Well, it's kind of this way, Ryan, that over the years, the five years that helped us, whether it was by, um, you know, certainly, you know, we had a lot of good years in the business and did a lot of great things with a lot of great clients. Uh, and a lot of that, um, 
came through some feedback and different ideas and resources that was pointed to, et cetera, through uh, allied executives. So um, there's so many different ways it can add value. Um, sometimes it's a big idea. Sometimes it's, you know, hey, I, I'm just trying to do, you know, something like create a new website or something. Who who should I talk to? You know, as you well know. So Well, and I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of a plug for you here, too. Oh, wow. So for the listeners, um, my, my dad and I, when we had Imaging Path, we were part of Vistage. So I think a lot of people are very familiar with Vistage. Um, also, there's EO, which is Entrepreneur's Organization. And Allied is a, a very um, prestigious group here locally in the Twin Cities and it's the same thing and it's a it's a fantastic environment because when we were in Vistage prior to selling you know you're bouncing ideas off of because you're not alone I mean and being alone as an entrepreneur I think is one of the you know very common feeling because you feel like you're I mean the buck stops there and so the organization Kurt that you and John have is 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 great and you guys are growing and uh making it better every day. So it's, it's a fantastic thing. I appreciate that plug. And, um, the one thing I'll say about it is, is all those organizations you mentioned are great. Um, the whole model is great. Um, it's, it's all about finding the right fit for you. Um, and they're all different in that regard. So, um, but you know, one of the things just having gone through that experience and then having gone through the experience of you know, being in a three person partnership team and the challenges of that, um, is, you know, being something, um, because it, it, you know, there, everybody's got blind spots or there's dark spots you can't see and to have, um, you know, 10 to 12, 13 other men and women who are living in your shoes, um, or, you know, all the conversations to them are relevant as they are to you. Uh, they can help you and they'll help you see stuff that you're not seeing. They'll help you. They'll, they'll kind of give you the feedback, um, you need to hear, yep. <laughs> you know, that others no. might not tell you. And I got plenty of that over the years. Um, <laughs> I'm sure John was very open with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't need that, you know, cause, um, you know, the hard part about being an entrepreneur or part of an entrepreneurial team in your company is, uh, you know, where do you go to get your ideas? You know, uh, you're expected to have all the answers within your own company. But Speaking uh, of answers, so uh, if you were to go back and give your past self one yep. piece of advice when you were having that conversation about equity with your dad, what's the one piece of advice you'd give yourself? Go get more valuations uh, on the business, uh, bring in a second and third party to do that. So you're dealing with a set of information that, um, kind of level sets everything and everybody. Um, that would be a big one. Uh, I think the second one would be to really, um, spend a lot more time, even with the third partner saying, what do we really want out of the business and what's the vision for this thing and how are we going to make it happen? Because what I've learned after going through that and what I've learned through listening and observing others who have done some acquisitions and you know things similar to what I did or just buying another company is at the end of the day, it's about the management team in place and the way you're going about building the business. Um, we should have done more of that. And we should have had – I should have forced those conversations first before buying and doing it on, uh, I don't want to say blind faith, but on the assumption that we'll figure it out as we go. I love it. So Kurt, if there's a way, well, how can people get in touch with you today? 
Sure, a couple ways. Um, email is easy. My email address is k-t-h-e-r-i-a-u-l-t at alliedexecutives.com. Otherwise, uh, I'm a still big believer in using the phone. So I'll even give out my phone number. It's 952-484-0166. That's my cell phone. And uh, if anybody's got any questions or uh, what have you, um, I'm happy to chat with them. So I love it. Two best ways. And then uh, obviously our website too, uh, www.alliedexecutives.com. Well, thank you very much, Kurt, for being on Life After Business. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. hope I added some value.